So coming on the, the heels of Mission Focus, I mean, you guys know how exciting Mission Focus can be, right? And it seems like it was just here, right? But, but it's already been several weeks since Mission Focus has passed. But after Mission Focus is over, all of us are thinking about the same kinds of things. We're thinking, man, I cannot wait to evangelize this. I, I understand that the mission for my life is to tell people about Jesus Christ. And, and I'm so excited about you know, renewing my vigor for, for sharing the word of God and, and going into my workplace and going into my neighborhood and going into my classroom and talking about Jesus. And, and we start thinking more and more about discipleship and how awesome it would be for us to, to be able to invest into another person's life and, and to take the word of God that's been given to us and, and to share that with someone else and to bless someone else and invest in them and live the Great Commission. And we get so excited about it and we're thinking about it and maybe we're plotting things out in our mind. Maybe we came up front and said, yeah, I'd like to go on a missions trip. But, but the thing about time is that time is tricky and things erode over time. And after even just a few weeks of space, many of us are kind of looking around and we're thinking to ourselves, well, where do I actually begin? You know, how do I take all that conviction that I felt and make application? And, and so we, we, we kind of look around and we say to ourselves, you know, I don't actually know who to invest in. I thought I did. I, I thought I had some ideas, but am I even ready for this? I mean, I was so excited, but I'm thinking, man, now... I don't even know what I would say if I engaged with someone in conversation. I don't have anything to say. I haven't gone through discipleship. I haven't finished discipleship yet. I haven't gotten through foundations two or three yet. And you're thinking to yourself, man, am I even ready for the challenge of sharing the gospel or discipling people? Am I capable? And then oftentimes, as we make an attempt to do ministry, as we start getting going, we recognize that there's obstacles in the way. There are, there are always going to be things in our way that prevent us from doing the thing that we imagine. We always imagine that ministry is supposed to look a certain way, but then when, when, when something gets in the way of that, or there's a hurdle or there's a stumbling block, we get so easily discouraged. We get discouraged when we face difficulties. We get discouraged because there's disappointments around us all the time. We exhaust our resources. We exhaust our ideas. And we struggle with feeling defeated, you know? You share the gospel with that coworker and it, it doesn't go the way you imagined and, and then you're like, well, I did that. Does, it, does this work? Does this work? Now, no one in this room would want to admit it, okay? But, but many of us already, three weeks into January, have accepted that we won't lead someone to Christ this year. We've already accepted the idea that we will likely not lead anyone to the Lord. And many of us have surrendered to the idea that we won't disciple anyone. Because it just seems too difficult. It seems so unlikely. I mean, I know that I was excited after Mission Focus, but, but now as I look at my life and I see how busy I am and all the things that are going on, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This just really isn't that feasible. I want to suggest something to you that's really important, and it's this. We often fail before we begin because we failed to pray. I think there should be slides. 
There they are. Thanks, guys. We often fail before we begin because we have failed to pray. See, our zeal wanes and, and we consign ourselves to defeat, not because the work is impossible, but because we've convinced ourselves that it's impossible for God to use us. We, we might say to ourselves, well, yeah, Christ can do anything. Yeah, he could, he could, he could win this city. Man, he can, Christ can do anything, can't he? But then when we think about it, we're, we're not convinced that he can actually use us indiv individually. And our excitement begins to, to disappear. And we feel weak. We feel unable. And I, know, and I know this for a fact. I know that there's, especially with some of the older people and some of the other fellowships, we unintentionally com compare what's happening in Kaya and assume that evangelism is for young people. And I don't know how many times that the pastors have to talk about this or mention this, but the truth is, there's nothing magical about what's going on. It's just people are praying. People are praying and they're making themselves available to do the work. It's not magic. It's not, there's not anything special about being young. But we look at our situation, we say it's, it's, not, it's not really possible for God to use me, and all that excitement just wasn't what I thought it was. And so we feel weak and we feel um, unuseful. And, and so tonight's sermon, it'll be very brief, um, is, is called this, uh, Prayers for Weak People. Prayers for Weak People. We're gonna talk about what it looks like as weak people who are unable and incapable, what does it look like for us to make prayers that God might use us? And so we're gonna use Judges 6 as the uh, jumping off point for, for these ideas and for these prayers. In the book of Judges, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites again and again turned from God to the idolatry of the pagan nations that surrounded them. You guys familiar with those stories from Judges? The result of this was cycles of oppression over and over again by foreign enemies and then, and then the nation would fall into repentance resulting in God's generous deliverance from their circumstances. And this happens over and over again, chapter after chapter. It's the same story. It's like, generally speaking, 40 years of peace and then they get mingled in with the nations that surround them. They start worshiping false gods. They start getting comfortable. Things get terrible for them. And then they repent and they come back to the Lord and, and He's gracious with them. Now as we come to Judges 6, we find ourselves at the onset of, the, of one of these cycles. Israel's sin is a result of being mingled culturally with the pagan nations around them and they've grown to be very weak. They've, they've grown to really have no resource. Their situation is beggarly. They are afraid. They have forfeited their land. They've run, they've run away in fear, and they're hiding themselves in the surrounding hills and caves uh, that, that are around their homeland because they're afraid of the Midianites. So let's look at, at Judges chapter 6, verse 1 real quick, and let's get some context. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So God's judgment is at work, and he delivers them over to the, the, the Midianites, the people, people of Midian, for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, 
And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So they go into hiding. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. <coughs> so they have oppressors all around them. Okay, that are asserting authority, asserting power, and they have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. They took all of their possessions for they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude for both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. <clears throat> so note what's happening here. We have a people that have nowhere to go. The Midianites have taken over their cities. They're weak. They're unfortified. And so they position themselves in the safety of the hills. But not even that works. Not even that works. Because anytime they go, where to, go somewhere to hide, here come the people of the east. Here come the Midianites. And they're coming and they're taking their stuff. There's nothing off limits. And they're in trouble. These are a broken people. The strategy of the enemy is to wait and so you will read this here in a second, but the strategy of their enemy is to wait until they've harvested their, their meek harvest in the hills. And just as they're about to reap the fruit of those harvests, their enemy comes in, swoops in, takes the harvest away. They don't even have a chance to take the food and to store it away. Before they even have a chance to gather the little bit of scraps that they could, they could gain for themselves, their enemy comes and steals it, steals it away. So we've got two questions, okay, to ask ourselves. Well, I actually, it says two questions, but I've got three. So, three questions. <clears throat> the first one's this, how do we grieve something that we're unaware of, okay? How do we grieve something that we're completely unaware of? Like if we don't know that our situation is terrible, then how could we possibly grieve it before the Lord? And many of us don't know just how impoverished we are before God. Many of us don't know how weak we are. We've convinced ourselves that we're strong. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that we can figure it out. Maybe we can, we've convinced ourselves that if we just hide ourselves in the safety of the hills and we sow some seed in a little plot, then maybe, maybe we'll have something to ourselves and everything's okay. Nothing is as bad as it seems. So how do we grieve something that we're unaware of? And, and here's another question is, and why would we seek help for something for which we're not grieved? Why would we bother seeking for help for something that we're not even grieved over? And then third, how do we combat that which we can't personally control? How, do we, how, how is it that we can com combat something that has greater power, greater might, greater battle plans, how do you combat something for which you can't control? You can't control the enemy in your life. You can't control whether or not someone at your workplace will receive Jesus Christ. You can't control whether or not your neighbors are going to be friendly. You can't control whether or not you will be fruitful. That's not up to you. And so the point is, the point is that we need prayer as a mechanism for honesty before the Lord. 
We need, we need prayer as a function of being vulnerable before God and letting him truly assess whether or not we're fruitful. Because some of us are weak and we don't know it. And some of us are fruitless and we haven't even considered it. Some of us aren't actually being used of God, but all along the way we've convinced ourselves that that's okay. So here's our first prayer point, and it's this. This is a prayer point for weak people. God, help us to honestly assess the nature of our fruitlessness. God, show us that it's not okay that I haven't led anyone to the Lord. God, show me in my heart of hearts that it's not okay that I haven't discipled in years. God, show me that it's not okay that, that the, the fishing hole has dried up. We need prayer to show us the nature of our fruitlessness. And so this is what the nation of Israel does. They, they pray for help. Judges chapter 6, verse 7 says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. So they're doing exactly what we're talking about. What were they crying over? What was causing them all the pain? They clearly saw that they were an exploited and destitute people, which we are as well. Do you understand that? Satan is looking to exploit us. And some of us, he's doing a really good job. And we're a destitute people. We are, we are wretched and poor and naked and blind, and, we, and, and so many of us don't know. But then when we discover it, that's an opportunity for us to cry out to God in our humility. In their minds, there was no direction left to turn. I wonder how many of us feel that way. Israel found humility in prayer. And it was a byproduct of judgment. But what would keep us, God's people, from finding humility in prayer as a byproduct of faith? Why does it have to be judgment that always shows us that we're wrong? Why is it, why is it always judgment that shows us that we're weak? Why is it always hardship that has to get us to a place of humility before God? Why couldn't it be that in faith, we just turn to God and say, God, we know that we're weak. We know that we can't do it. We know that we're fruitless. We know that we're barren. Can we not decide even right now that each of us are helpless without Christ? That we will not reach souls if we do not trust him for that work? Of course you won't lead anyone to Christ this year if you're not willing to trust God for the work. Are we not willing to trust that only he can reach our city? So here's the next prayer point for weak people. Here's our prayer. God, intercede and make us fruitful. God, intercede and make us fruitful. I know that I'm not fruitful. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. The strategy I thought was supposed to work, it's not working. The people that I had prayed for before, they're not accepting you. I don't know where to turn. I'm unwilling to let my evangelism just dry up and die. 
I'm unwilling to let that happen. God, intercede and make me fruitful. So they cry out, and I think it's really interesting what happens next. In verse eight it says this, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel which said unto them, okay? That's the next verse, verse eight. Can you guys see that up there? What's a prophet? What's a, what's a prophet? You guys know? Yeah, a preacher. Yeah, someone that's a fourth teller of God's word. We know that there was a function of that in the Old Testament that was, was foretelling, right? Telling of the future. But we know that, that at, at the, the core, a prophet in God's word is a preacher, someone who de- declares the truth of God's word. And I think it's really interesting that when the nation of Israel prays out and cries out to God, Lord, that he sends, he sends them a preacher. I think that's interesting. God, we need help. And he sends someone to preach to them. And so the prophet comes and he says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Tough words. Tough words from the pastor. Tough words from the preacher. But his job is to remind them not only of their failure, but of how God has come through in times past. How good God has been to them. It's both an admonition and an encouragement. And that's what we need too. See, God has given us pastors to lay the admonition, has he not? He's given us Chris Best and Will Mata and Sam Miles and and Kenny Morgan and Jeff Grasher and Andrew Ong and James Fife. Who am I missing? Mitch Dobson, who's not here tonight. That's why I didn't see his bald head floating around in the room somewhere. (laughs) And he's given us these men. Why? So that they would lay an admonition. that they might administer correction where it's necessary and so that they would cast a vision to the congregation. And this is what your pastors are for. And so here's another prayer point for weak people. God, God, use your preachers to instruct us in how to be fruitful. God, use your preachers to show us. Use your pastors, use your shepherds to show us how we might be fruitful. Give them an anointed strategy. Give them an anointed method. Use them to point the way. Use them to show us where the fish fish are. God has given you fellowship pastors so that they might provide you with insight in how to reach your city. God's given them to you that they might provide the means and methods, the structures and the leadership. And now we must trust them and move forward in faith that God's using them in our lives. Amen? Next, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah. Ophrah. Man, I should have checked Blue Letter Bible before I got up here. I love that guy. 
that tells you how to say the words? That guy saves my life. He let me down right now. Opera? Oh, like the opera? No, I'll quit. I just got done telling Eva that I hated when pastors did this. Like, if they just did their work, they'd know how to say the words. I just told her this. This is how big of a hypocrite I am. <clears throat> so, I think it's, I, I also find it interesting that the preacher preaches, the people listen, and then Jesus shows up. It's just like Jesus to show up when there's praying and preaching. Isn't it? It's, it's just like him. And it's just like him to show up under a tree. Why is that dude always under a tree? Zacharias under the trees, just always hanging out under a tree. But Jesus shows up and says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an opera that pertaineth unto Joash and the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Do you see what's happening here? The angel of the Lord, Jesus, shows up, starts talking to Gideon. And he says to him, look, man, um, I'm going to use you and make you a mighty man of valor that you might deliver your people from the Midianites. And look, at how, look how dismayed, look how dismayed Gideon is. And look at, look at how dismay can get in the way, right? Even when Jesus is talking to him, right? He's like, oh, man, why, why are we even in this situation? You know, he's like frustrated. And so many of us let dismay get in the way of Jesus talking to us. We wonder why we're depressed. Jesus is talking to you and you're not even listening. You're too busy focused on your circumstances to consider what Christ has to say. We say things like, how could God possibly be for this church when the world around us is so hostile to the gospel? There's so many Christians throwing a pity party because they watch the news all day and they think it's too big for God. They think that the world has just grown too hostile towards Christians. And so they spend time sitting around, crossing their arms, griping about what's going on in the world. Man, just listen to Jesus. He wants to use you continues on and says, and, and where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Where are all those miracles at? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And listen to what the Lord says. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. You know, you might see yourself as weak. You might see the battle as being too big. 
you might think to yourself, evangelism is not, it's just not, I'm just not good at it. I just, it's been so long. You might think discipleship is unattainable. But in, instead of being dismayed, why don't you consider embracing your weakness? Why don't you consider being broken before the Lord? And why don't you just let Jesus tell you what you're supposed to do? Here's the next key uh, prayer, uh, prayer point for, for weak people. God, make the weak to become the strong and fruitful. You know, God takes weak people and he makes them strong. And he, he, takes, he takes weak people and he makes them fruitful. I mean, you guys, you guys remember Moses, right? That dude didn't want any part. He had all kinds of reasons why he wasn't the right man for the job. But as you watch him through the Exodus and you begin to see him move through the wilderness, you recognize that God, God anointed that dude for that work. He, he was the one. God gave him the strength. God gave him the power to do things that he could never have imagined. And I wonder, I wonder if, prayer, if, if, if weak people would begin to pray and pray the right way, what we might be able to get done for God's kingdom. If we just embrace the fact that we're weak, that we can't do it, we don't know what to do, we don't know the next steps, that, that, that without Christ, this next year is going to be a waste, and then turn to him and beg him, cry out to him, God, make me fruitful. You, see, you'll only waste this year, you'll only waste this next year if you choose dismay. But if you choose to be broken before God and you pray the right prayers and you trust him to do the work, I promise you, I promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, on the truth of God's word, that he will use you. And you will be discipling people. And you will be leading people to Christ. It's not a, it's not a matter of want on God's part. Right? It's a matter of need on your part. He's waiting until you see this as a need. It's absolutely needful. And then he will bestow you with the strength necessary to do it. And he will make the way. And he will open the doors. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take these prayer requests. Okay? The, uh, the, the prayer requests of a weak person. And we're going to turn towards the Lord. And in groups, we're going to pray in whatever fashion you need to pray. We're going to pray these things back to the Lord. And we're going to ask him for his help because we can't go another year being barren. We can't. We need Christ to use us. So let's pray and then as, as we close in prayer, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll turn to the Lord in praise and we'll praise Him for the work that we can't see yet. We'll, we'll praise Him for the fruit that we, we, we don't even know where it's at. We don't know what it looks like, but we will praise Him because we know it's coming, because we asked for it. Cool? All right, let's break up into groups.